Well, good morning. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read a portion of Scripture from there in just a moment. But um, once again, I'm going to kind of set up our time in the Word this morning, just um, continuing in this series that we were doing. It's a brief series. If you have not been with us up to this point, um, you know, normally we work through the scriptures um, in an expository way, meaning we love to go line by line, verse by verse through books of the Bible. And uh, we completed a study of the book of Ephesians uh, just a few weeks ago, and we are preparing to jump back into a study of First and Second Samuel coming up in a few weeks. But uh, we wanted to take some time just to back up and do a little bit more of a topical study um, really on what discipleship is and how we pursue discipleship here at Westwood. And um, to get us caught up, I want to refresh our memory of a few things. We have been reminded um, that God has an agenda in our world. And His agenda is twofold. What God is trying to do, what He is trying to accomplish, and it's two things. Number one, He is transferring rebellious sinners from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. But that's not all He is doing. Through the Gospel, His agenda then transforms redeemed people into the image of His Son, into maturity, into Christ. That is God's agenda in the world. That is a great summary of all that He is doing in the world through this Gospel that is bearing fruit. It is born fruit here in our lives, in our church, and indeed it is bearing fruit to the ends of the earth. And we were reminded even this morning in Sunday school that God is omnipotent, which means He is all-powerful to do all that He wills to do. And so that is what God is doing in our world. And we want to be careful to understand then what our agenda is. We don't want to invent a new agenda. As a church, we don't want to come together and say, okay, what is it that we want to accomplish? What is our agenda going to be here? Our agenda needs to be shaped by our king's agenda. He has purchased us for his agenda. And so the way that we share in his agenda is that we first press into that maturity for ourselves. We recognize that if we are in Christ this morning, we have come to rest fully in everything that Christ has done for us in our place so that we can be reconciled to the Father and restored in relationship to Him. So we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, but that is not the totality of His of his purpose for us. We want to pursue the transformation he intends to complete in us through the work of his Spirit. And we have a responsibility in that. It's the Spirit that does the work within us, but we have to give ourselves to that agenda. We have to pursue that agenda for ourselves. But that's not all. Our agenda, too, is twofold, just as God's is twofold. Not only are we to press into maturity into Christ, we are to press others into maturity into Christ. And so this is our agenda that reflects the king's agenda. Our agenda is purchased by him as he fulfills that agenda through us. So the truth is, we have been looking at this statement of how that takes place. And it's built on these four Ps that we are taking a week for each of them to walk through slowly. Uh, we've already seen that this agenda unfolds and God completes this agenda as his people, as God's people. And we saw that that includes all of us that God has redeemed us, but he has also placed us in his agenda to work towards his agenda. All of us are called to this task. Discipleship takes place. His agenda unfolds as God's people do a very specific thing. That is proclaim 
his word, God's word, into the lives of others. We all have been given that task. As God's people, we are not only to come to know God's word, but we know it in order to proclaim it. And we proclaim that into our own lives as we preach the gospel to ourselves and cast our own eyes towards our King and our Savior. But we also speak that word or proclaim that word into the lives of others. But it doesn't stop there. We have two more P's to go. And today we'll look at the third of those P's, which is this. God's agenda unfolds as God's people proclaim God's word into the lives of others in prayerful dependence on the Spirit and in perseverance. So today and next week, we are going to look at the means, okay? What we are to do is to proclaim the word of God into the lives of others. How we are to do that is defined today and next week. And the first one we're going to look at is that we must do it in prayerful dependence on the Spirit. Now last week, we saw that every single person who has ever drawn breath, who is drawing breath, or who will draw breath, exists in relation to Jesus. And part of our ability and our intention in proclaiming the word comes only as we understand how each person is in relation to Jesus so that we can proclaim the word in a way to move them closer to Jesus. Okay. Today I want us to look at this process of discipleship. All right. This process of discipleship. And I think we see a beautiful snapshot of that in Colossians 2. Look there with me. Colossians 2. Verses 6 and 7. This is really a foundational passage for us, even in the way that uh, we came to articulate the, the Great Commission in the way that we do here at Westwood with our three Gs, our grounded, growing, and going. Um, we get that from this passage, and it's, it's just been a very foundational passage in the way that that was developed and in the way that we pursue it. Listen to verse 6. Paul writes there, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Do you hear a process in that? Just as you receive the Lord Jesus, you're not to just stop there. You see, in the Colossian church, there were all of these different philosophies that were trying to encroach into the church and muddy up the gospel. And there were many of these philosophies philosophies out there trying to come into the church. And that's one of the reasons why I love the book of Colossians, because I see so many similarity, similarities with their culture and our culture today. It feels a lot like something we experience, isn't it? We walk out of our house every morning, and we, are just, we don't even have to walk out of our house. We're just inundated with these philosophies, and these philosophies trying to water down the gospel if we buy into them and taint the, the waters of the gospel, and, and we just have to stand firm against that. And so what is Paul writing to the Colossian church admonishing them to do? Walk in Christ. Remain in Him. Just as you received Him, walk in Him. And that's not the, you know, what is, what is the outflow of that? That you're rooted and established in Him, abounding in thanksgiving. There's a process that plays out there. And I want us to see this process in four different ways today, four different points. First, there was a time when the seed of the gospel was planted in my heart thanks to the faithfulness of someone else who spoke it into my life. For me, that took place in Tampa, Florida when I was seven years old and eight years old. I heard the faithful preaching of a pastor in a church that we were members at there. 
And then it continued on into my home where I had a mom and a dad who was faithful to listen to my questions and help me walk to understand the things that I was hearing and the things that I thought that I understood. And I came to the place where I was ready to put my trust in Jesus because I saw that I was a sinner and I needed rescue. And so through the faithfulness of those around me speaking the word into my life, that word was sown, or that, the seed of the word was sown into my life. And after that, I had people in my church who were faithful to come around me and to follow up with me. They didn't just leave me at that point when I came to faith. They began to help me understand what my new identity in Christ was. And over many years, people came around me, teachers and leaders and others and pastors came around me to help me not only understand what my foundational identity in Christ was, but how to read the Bible and how to come to know God through His Word. How to pray and how to commune with God, how to listen to a sermon and how to lean into teaching and understand it and begin to apply it to my life. People were faithful to water that seed that had taken root in my heart. And throughout the years, others have come around me and we have done that together pursuing growth. Okay? We have the initial word coming, the watering of that word, and now growth. As we apply those things together and we seek the Lord together and we read the Bible together and we study together and we pray together and we hold each other accountable and, and we continue to communicate grace to one another and we point each other to Jesus, we are growing together. But brothers and sisters, that's not where it stops, is it? Somewhere along the lines, people who love me very much began to train me and they began to put the work gloves on me. And it wasn't just about the conviction and the character that was developed through the growth. They also were concerned that I became competent to be a minister of the Word. And look how this, how this, how this plays out. This is not the end. This is not the end. Because people in training me would take me back through and they taught me to love this gospel and to know it and to be able to communicate it. And they put it in my hands and taught me how to go and to spread the seed of the gospel to those who needed to hear it. They, with me, began to show me how to use the gospel and the word to water, to follow up with young believers, to teach them about their identity in Christ, to teach them how to read the Bible, to teach them how to pray, to help them to gain that foundation upon which they can be established through the church, through the years, I've been able to grow with others, but be more invested in that and speaking the word into each other's lives, pointing each other to the gospel, helping us grow together as we continue to minister the word together. But then to go and to begin to put gloves on other people and to train them, right? Somewhere along the way, I began to share the gospel because I grew in my love of the gospel and I wanted to share the gospel as people had taught me and I came across Micah. Micah, come on up here. A bunch of you told me last week that you like active learning, so that's what we're doing this morning, okay? That's what you're getting, okay? So Micah, as I'm sowing the seed and speaking the word, Micah, that seed lands in his heart and the Spirit does a work in his heart to bring him to faith. And because I know him and I am his access to the gospel and we are a gift to one another, I then take up the watering can and I begin to follow up with him. Okay? I begin to help him understand what it is to read the scriptures and who he is in Christ and helping him understand his Christian identity. And as, as we do that together, we begin to grow together. And not only is it just a one-way thing where I'm discipling him and following up with him, now he's helping me to grow and we're growing together. 
But that's not the end. I care for Micah. I want him to move even closer to Jesus. So there comes a time when I help him put the gloves on. Put that glove on. And I help him to train him to not only have the character and the conviction, but to have the competency. And watch this. I take Micah back through the process. And I put Micah's hands on the tools. And together we learn how to share the gospel. To where Micah grows in competency for sharing the gospel to those who are outside of Christ and who need to hear the gospel. I teach Micah what it is to have beautiful feet. To take the gospel to the world. But not only that, Micah, come over here. I want to show you as we see people come to faith, I want to put this in your hands and together show you how to follow up with a believer. To show you how to help someone know who they are in Christ. To show them how to read the Bible and to pray and to do that with them. Not only that, Micah, but as our community grows, we can come together and we can begin to grow together. And the beauty of it is the person who we saw come to faith, now they're pouring into our lives and it's a mutual exchange as we speak the word into each other's lives. But then, Micah, come on over here. Together I want to show you how to train up more to do the work of the gospel. Okay? You can sit down. I'm not going to make you stay as long as people did last week. (laughs) I want us to see something. This is not the end. This is not the end. Discipleship is reproductive. It's reproducing other believers. And not only that, but when we are trained, and that training gives us competency to go on with the conviction and the character, I can enter into any of these scenarios as I figure out where people are in relation to Christ, and I can pick up right there by understanding how to speak the word into their lives to help them grow closer to Christ. This is a corporate thing, but it's also an individual thing. This is what we do. This is what the organism of the church looks like when we take on the agenda of our king. But this morning, we need to hear this very carefully. We are called to obedience and faithfulness in this. But this growth only happens through the work of the Spirit within us. And so as we grow, we are leaning in to the dependency we have on the Spirit to do that work in us as we pursue it. As I'm taking other people through and I'm trained to come back through and speak the Word into the lives of others, I must do that in prayerful dependence on the Spirit because I can't accomplish that in someone else's life, but I'm called to be faithful to it. Okay? So this morning, be reminded of this process. Brothers and sisters, This is what we are to be about. This is the vine work, the people work that we are to give our lives to. And the truth is, if we have walked with Jesus any measure of time, a good measuring stick for us is to be able to identify somebody in each of these categories and say, you know what, I'm walking with them there. There is somebody in my life, in my family, in my workplace, in in, in whatever context, that they're outside of Christ, and I'm actively trying to build that relationship so that I may share the gospel with them, so that they may come to faith. There's somebody in my life I've seen come to faith, and I'm just now beginning to water that seed, and I'm helping them to understand who they are in Christ, and what the church is, and what prayer is, and how to study the Bible, and to know God, to set some good habits I'm walking with some brothers and sisters closely, intentionally, where we are pointing each other to the gospel constantly and we're growing 
in character and conviction, even as we pursue the Lord together. And there are also some people that I'm pushing towards training or I'm actively training myself. It's a good measuring stick, isn't it? This is the process of growth that we see in the Scriptures. And brothers and sisters, here's the beautiful thing. It's not up to us. The Spirit does the work. So all we are then are free to give ourselves to the agenda. Okay? Let me pray as Gerald comes up and helps us to see that this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this picture that we see. Lord, I pray that we would be passionate about what you are passionate about. Lord, we live in a time, and I think this is no different than any other time, that we can become very passionate about things that you are not passionate about. And Lord, I think that that is one of the reasons why we see the church in the state that it is in in the West. Is that so often we give ourselves to a thousand different things other than your agenda. So God, help us to desire to know you. Lord, help us to know who we are in you. Help us to know who we are as your redeemed people. And then, Father, I pray that you would work to align our hearts with your heart so that we will passionately pursue what you are pursuing. So, God, do that work in our hearts today. Remind us today of the gift that your Spirit is to us. Remind us, too, of the dependency we have on you to do this work. But, God, I pray that we would leave this place today with a greater desire to be passionate about pursuing what you have called us to pursue. Do this work in the life of your people here. And Father, I pray that you would do that through my hands and my feet and my mind and my heart. We love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for how you will lead us in that this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John first. We're going to be looking at several passages for just a minute. And I'll, and I'll post these different passages because there are more in my notes than I'm probably going to refer to this morning. And as Jason mentioned, here's, here's the deal, that whether it is in this initial outreach stage, this sowing stage, and by the way, that sowing stage can, can be one meeting, or it can be multiple, multiple times when the word is spoken and that seed is planted into somebody's life. It can happen over years. But in this stage, or whether it's in this follow-up stage, where God has worked in somebody's heart and brought them to faith. And by the way, just as Paul says, one sowed and somebody watered, but God brought forth the harvest, you may not be the one to see that person come to faith. You may be the one who sows, and somebody else is the one that God uses to bring them to faith. And then that follow-up process starts. And then this process comes where there is growth. And then all that is just kind of recycled and circled back through the process again as that person then becomes one who is trained. And together we train and encourage each other, as Jason told you. And in all of these steps, the work of the Holy Spirit is essential, absolutely essential. 
And I want to show you that from the scripture, just so it just reminds us again and grounds us in this reality. It can be overwhelming to think that the Lord would call me to speak his word into somebody's life. It should be overwhelming to us. That should, that should be wow. That's amazing that God would give me that opportunity. And not just give me that opportunity, but give me that command. It's not an option. And yet he calls us to that with the full assurance that he equips us and gives us all we need to do that. In John chapter 15, turn to John chapter 15. And as I was thinking through this over the last couple of weeks and just meditating on it, nothing, nothing became... Nothing was more pressing to me than what Jesus says here in this familiar passage in John chapter 15. When we're talking about the prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit in every process, every part of this process of gospel growth. Jesus says in John 15, starting in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now this reflects back over in chapter 12 where Jesus took off his outer garments and wrapped a towel around his waist, remember, and washed his disciples' feet. And Peter said, no, Lord, you're not going to wash me. And Jesus said, well, unless I wash you, you've got no part of me. And, and it's an allusion back to that cleansing that comes when we trust in Christ. The cleansing of the word, washing of water by the word, that, that faith response and that work of the Holy Spirit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, Jesus says. In verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And then down later on in the closing part of that, he says in verse 18, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. There's, I'm not going to take the time to exegete that. I, I can't take that time. But there is a stark division in that. Is there not? Do you see that? It, it begins at the very beginning of it there where he says every branch that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes there is there is the one that remains in the vine and is fruit bearing and there's those that are cut away and thrown into the fire and burned there is a stark division here and that stark division should catch our attention that that true disciple in Christ is going to be a fruit bearing disciple there's there's no kind of group in the middle there there's a stark division. There is also a continual, constant dependence. If I go over there and cut off one of those little branches off of that plant that Jason set up here on the platform, it will die. 
and we can call it dead already, cut off. There is a continual dependence. This is an organic growth, an internal growth, okay, of the sap pulsating up through those branches into that part of that plant, and it's a pulsating, constant growth. And there's this dependence there. Jesus says, you abide in me, and there's life there. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And, of course, we understand that apart from him, there's only death. And the only kind of growth that there is is this vital connection to Christ. And there's this dependence that's in this picture that Jesus gives us. This internal growth of abiding in Christ bears itself out in this external fruitfulness. We'll touch on that again in just a second. There's a stark division. There's a continual dependence. And then there is this dependence that's reflected in a prayerful relationship. I call it a prayerful deployment because that idea of deployment comes down there in verses 18. You did not choose me, Jesus says. I chose you and appointed you that you should go. You are being deployed. He is telling his disciples as he tells the church, church, you are sent. You are sent. You are deployed. And essential to that deployment is a prayerful prayer-filled life. And so as he gives us these pictures, uh, I appreciate what D.A. Carson says in his commentary on John. Listen to this. The union of love that joins believers with Jesus, and that that starts in that verse 1 of chapter 15. I'm the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. There's this union. Later on, John 17, Jesus will pray that this, this amazing, mysterious, mystical union, if you will, this reality of who the Godhead is, that union between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit would be seen in the union of believers with God, with Christ. And so... Carson says, the union of love that joins believers with Jesus can never become a comfortable, exclusive huddle that only they share in. It is a unique union and an extension of the union of the Godhead. But by its very nature, it is a union which seeks to bring others into its orb. We have been deployed And I believe the fruitfulness that Jesus is referring to there in verse 18, yes, there is the fruit of character. There is the fruit of competence. But this is the fruit of mission. This is the fruit of going and sowing and sharing and speaking the word into the lives of others. Continual prayerful dependence, which raises a problem, right? Or at least least it, it does for me. Because in spite of these promises, did you hear those promises? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, he says, and it will be done for you. Now, we understand this is not name it and claim it, right? This is not prosperity gospel, which is an oxymoron. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Down in verse 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So you ask whatever you ask in my Father's name. Listen to that promise. But there's a problem because prayerfulness is a weakness in me. I can't speak for everybody else. But in spite of these promises, and so this idea that there is prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit raises this issue. 
John Calvin said that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And we could spend a long time talking about that reality. Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And in his little book on enjoy, his little book, Enjoy Your Prayer Life, Michael Reeves, it's a little tiny little booklet. It says, Michael Reeves says, we are by nature, all of us, rubbish at prayer because we are sinners. We are by nature rubbish at prayer. So I would be remiss if I didn't pause just for a minute to say that this prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit is prayerful. It calls us to that humble recognition that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But at the same time, calls us to that amazing reality of the spiritual newness and oneness that is ours in Christ. The solution to this is the Word of God dwelling in us richly. Because Reeves points out in his little booklet that when we present ourselves with the Word, when we go to the Word, we are being presented with the reality of Christ. And the Holy Spirit working through that Word that is set before us as we open it and read it, the Spirit of God takes that Word and awakens in us a faith and a desire for more. So the key to our prayerlessness Becoming prayerfulness is the word of Christ dwelling in us fully and the Holy Spirit taking that word and presenting it to us, the beauty and the reality of Christ. Because Paul says in Romans 8 that it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that reminds us, first of all, that we are God's children. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. And he tells us in verse 16, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the first words of a baby are Mama or Papa or Daddy or something like that. And it brings great joy to those new parents when those first words of Mama or whatever it may be come out. Now, as grandparents, you may say, I heard Nana before I heard Mama, but that's neither here nor there. The fact is, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. And the Holy Spirit reminds us and seals in our hearts the reality that we belong to God. And it is then the Holy Spirit that, because of that relationship, impels us, compels us to call out to Father, call out to our Daddy. And even when we don't know how to do that, it is the Spirit of God that intercedes on our behalf, helping us pray, Paul tells us later on in the book of Romans in chapter 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, he says, that are too deep for words. So the Spirit of God is the answer to this prayerlessness in our lives. Prayerful dependence upon the Spirit of God at every stage. It is the Spirit, his role to remind us of our dependence at every stage and then for us to call out in prayer for him to speak into that situation. So think for just a minute about sowing, all right? Think about what it means in this outreach stage where people come in contact with the Word. Well, what does the Bible say about the Spirit's role in that? Well, Jesus couldn't have been any clearer as he was talking to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3. He said, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. It is the Spirit that gives life. In John chapter 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born is flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
So he was answering Nicodemus's question, well, how can a man crawl back into his mother's womb and be reborn? It's the work of the Spirit of God that brings about a spiritual birth in us. The Spirit brings life. Over in John chapter 15, Jesus said that the Spirit of God bears witness about me in verse 26. And then in the very next verse, he says, it is you who bear witness about me. So it is this work of the Spirit in us bearing witness about Christ. That's that sowing. And the only reference in the Bible to the Holy Spirit working in the life of an unbeliever, or at least in the New Testament, comes later on in John chapter 16 where Jesus says when he comes, talking about the Helper, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world, Jesus says, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. It is the Spirit of God that convicts the lost sinner of their lostness. It is the Spirit of God that opens the eyes of the lost sinner to see the reality of the beauty of Christ. It is the Spirit of God that works in us. Worked in us. Bringing us to Christ. And continuing to reveal the beauty of Christ. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit in this sowing stage. We see that, right? So how do we pray in prayerful dependence? Jesus said in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the result of that Spirit coming upon us, He says, is that we will be witnesses. We will be witnesses. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, as we consider and hear that you are essential in this stage of sowing, we humbly come before you and ask for your forgiveness when we relied on our ability or our words. Or we come before you confessing our fear and our quietness. So Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you will do what only you can do which is open the eyes of dead men to see and respond to the life that's in Christ. And the Holy Spirit, you will then fill us and lead us to go where you would have us to go. That you would lead us to go and proclaim your word. We need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And we confess that in Jesus' name. Amen. So what about this next stage? What about this stage where there is, where there is growth? How do, we, how do we see the Spirit of God working in that? And how do we see the Spirit of God essential in that work of growth? Now think about that for just a second. This stage where the seed has been planted, the, the Word has taken root, we see some beginnings of growth, and it is at this place where so often... There's such a failure on the part of, of the church, on the part of the church. And I've heard this testimony, and some of you have too. Some of you could share this testimony. You know, I came down front, and I took the pastor's hand, and I prayed the sinner's prayer with him, and I was baptized, and that was it. There was, there was, 
no intentionality. There was no relationship of ongoing discipleship. No one came along beside me and, and began to water the word. No one came along beside me and really helped me understand what all of this meant and how that was to be lived out in my life. No one really helped me with that process. How many of us could say that our life was kind of marked like that? So this follow-up stage is this intentional process where the mature believer comes along beside somebody else and helps them be grounded in faith. Where's the Spirit's role in that? Well, as Jesus gives us this picture of the role of the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 15, one of the things he says there is that the Holy Spirit, listen to this, in John 14, 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Holy Spirit, the Helper, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It is the Holy Spirit that is our teacher. In John chapter 16, it is the Holy Spirit that is our guide, leading us. He said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That right there is one of those determining factors when you are called to exercise discernment as a believer in whether or not this particular prophet or preacher or teacher that you may be listening to who acclaims or at least claims that he is speaking for the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit is speaking through him, the Holy Spirit has one job to point people to Christ and he has one message and it is the Word of God. He does not speak on his own authority. So if whatever that person says is not lining up with God's word and is not pointing to Jesus and does not ultimately give glory to God because Jesus says in verse 14, he will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. If those things aren't happening when that person is saying that they are speaking for or through the Holy Spirit, turn them off or get up and leave. The Spirit is our teacher. He is the guide. He is the revealer of, those, of, of Christ and of his word, which all, I think, is summarized beautifully in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Listen to this prayer of Paul. How do we pray in this follow-up stage for the Spirit of God to allow us to be a part of this process because we are dependent upon him? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Do you hear the dependency on that? Lord, you are the one who will make us increase and abound in love. Lord, it is your Holy Spirit that will cause us to grow in love for one another and love for all. And it is through you that we are established. And the idea for established, the old King James says that he will establish you. There's no E on it. I love that word. He will establish you. The idea is that you are strengthened and made firm, constant. There's a consistency there through the work of the Holy Spirit. We are dependent upon the Spirit as we come along beside one another and, and, and grow together, especially so in the life of this new believer. How do we pray in that way, in prayerful dependence? Pray with me. 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make our love for our brothers and sisters increase and abound more and more so that together, Lord, we would be grounded, and especially for this new believer, Lord, they would be grounded and established in the faith. Father, we thank you that you allow us to come along beside, that you allow us to come and share in that amazing work of your word taking root and growing and bearing fruit. And we thank you for that, and we do it in Jesus' name. Now, what about that growth stage, okay? What about this process where we come along beside someone and together begin to walk this Christian walk and the knowledge of God and the character of Christ begin to just become a reality in our lives? I was drawn to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Turn over to the book of Ezekiel and look at this passage with me. I think it's in the Pew Bible 7, 704. I was just looking at it. Tell me if I'm wrong there. 724, thank you. Ezekiel chapter 36. I love this passage. I know in some of our Sunday school classes this morning we were talking about the, 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 the covenant relationship with God. I love how this passage in Ezekiel, I believe, looks ahead to the new covenant, the promise that we see highlighted for us in Hebrews chapter 8 where God's word will be written on our hearts. Well, that's a new heart, by the way. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel. I won't read the whole passage. I'm going to start in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is God's promise to his rebellious people. What amazing grace this is. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Do you hear, does that, you hear just that echoing in the words of Jesus? When he tells Peter, you are clean. And then we are washed by the washing of water by the word from Ephesians. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will clean you. Look at what he says in verse 26. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Here in this growth stage, what an amazing promise it is that God is the one who puts a new spirit in us. God is the one who puts a new heart in us. We were dead men and women. We needed a living, beating heart. And our hard, dead spirit needed to be replaced, not just renewed. And God's promise is that he does that. And, of course, we look forward and we see to the promise that we are new creatures in Christ. And so the spirit's role in this process of Christian growing, it is the spirit that puts the heart in us that wants to grow. And it is the spirit of God that puts in us that willingness and that understanding. It is the spirit of God in us that takes out that heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh, and it's the spirit in us that causes us to want to walk in those statutes, to want to walk in obedience. Now understand, right? We are the ones who are then called to make the step of obedience in that. But it is the spirit of God in us that starts that work. 
And it's the Spirit of God in us that allows us to continue in that work. As Paul says, it is the Spirit of God in us who causes us to desire that work and brings it to fruition as he enables us to do it. So this process of growth, I was reminded of that as I was reading earlier this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Talk, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but just the difference between the person who has the Spirit of God and the one who does not. And the one who does not does not receive the Word of God, does not receive the Gospel. They're not understood by Him because it is by the Spirit that they are understood. And here's what he says in verse 14 of chapter 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him or foolishness to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things and is himself to be judged by no one. Verse 16 says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Question mark. But we have the mind of Christ. Do you see how the Spirit of God is essential in this growth stage? God has put a new heart in us. And through that process of discipleship, he's putting a new mind in us. We have the mind of Christ. And then Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 2 to tell us that because we have the mind of Christ, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And what does that mind then begin to think and do? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, the example set before us is that of Christ who left the glory of heaven and came into this world to serve and give of himself. So this process of growth is a process of serving and coming along beside each other as the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, the Spirit of God works within us to enable us in this journey of faith. That's what Paul prayed for us. I hope we've been praying it for each other in Ephesians chapter 1. That the eyes of our hearts would be opened that the Spirit of God would come into us. And Paul calls him the Spirit of wisdom. That the Spirit of wisdom and revelation would give us this growing knowledge of God. And in that growing knowledge of God, we together, as we are growing and bearing fruit, would be grounded in the reality of all that God has done for us. That we would know the hope to which He's called us. That we would know the exceeding riches of His inheritance that is ours in Christ. And that we would know the greatness of his power. The very power that raised him from the grave. That's how we pray. That's what prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit looks like in this process of growth. Pray with me. O Father of glory. God Almighty who raised your son up from the grave. What immeasurable power that is. Father, we pray that you would that, use that same power and that Holy Spirit, you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know and apply the reality of who we are in Christ and what you have given us in Christ. And that that reality would be so ingrained and infused and bearing fruit in us as we come along beside each other in this process of growth Lord, that we would together as brothers and sisters in Christ be fruitful. Thank you, Spirit, for your work in us. Thank you for bringing forth fruit. 
And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. So finally, in this last stage where we call it training, and you understand what Jason was saying, right? That this training stage is not this one first, this one second, this one third, and this one last. No, this, you put on the gloves, and, and it is sequential. It's not sequential. It's circular. We're just, we're just working through this process in each other's lives. And I believe through those stages and seasons of life, those, those relationships will change. I mean, I've come along beside brothers in Christ and walked with them for a season as men have come along beside me. And then as that season changes, they're mature. They come along beside other guys. Women, you come along beside other ladies. And over the time, that season changes. They mature. They take on someone else. You go in someone else. So you see, this is not just sequential. It's a progression that continues where we grow in character and conviction and competency. All of that, though, is this fruitfulness of the mission. The mission of making disciples. Of going as Jesus has called us to go. And the Spirit's role in this, I could have gone to a dozen different places. I was drawn to Galatians chapter 5. Where Paul says in Galatians 5, Walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And he says in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. He said, you know what those works are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warn you before, he says in verse 21, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, he says, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, he says, we will keep step with the Spirit. And keeping in step with the Spirit, who is in us to grow us up, means that we are then coming alongside one another in that process of training and constantly putting those gloves on. I give my doctors a hard time sometimes. I say, you know, are you practicing on me today? Practicing medicine? Practicing law? Well, as believers, we are practicing our faith. It's a constant practice. It's a constant walking in step with the Spirit of God. And that process of walking with the Spirit is that process of just walking together through this life of journey of faith and just seeing more disciples raised up. How do we pray in this way? Let's, let's pray and let's see. Father, according to your word that Jason read to us earlier today, we pray that you'd fill us with all spiritual wisdom and a knowledge of your will. Give us understanding so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Father, that's really what we pray for today is that we would walk worthy of the calling with which you've called us. And that together, together within the body of Christ, with one voice and one heart, we would give glory to you. Father, I pray for your church here at Westwood to be built up. 
And I pray, love, Lord, for our love to abound more and more for one another and for a lost and hurting world around us. Holy Spirit, we humbly ask you to fill us, make us fruitful. For your glory, we pray it. In Christ, we pray it. Amen. Amen.